Hi everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth. And this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Good morning saunterers, welcome to another saunter. We are looking at the Gospel of Luke and it is amazing. It's an eyewitness account, it's written by a doctor, a man of science and we are seeing just this incredible story unfolding before our eyes. And so welcome and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give this day to you. We thank you for another Monday, we thank you for all the opportunities and possibilities that you have put in front of us today and we want to walk into them with our eyes open and even if we stumble into some of them Lord we want to just be filled with your spirit in the same way that we see Jesus in the pages of this this account in in your glorious name Jesus amen good morning Fran great to see you Uh, So chapter nine, here's a little testimony that I kind of need to chase the ground a little bit more. But I was talking um, uh, two days ago, I think it was, we were looking at the story where Jesus, the, the, um, uh, the centurion says to Jesus, you don't need to come to my house, just send the word. And my servant will be healed because I, I too am a man under authority. And I was, I remember praying at the end of that session and saying, Jesus, we just want us to see this kind of stuff happening in our experience. And uh, it was, it's such a kind of challenge. It's, it's taking like prayer for the sick to another level, isn't it? It's walking in authority. Well, the same day, I think it was, or the day after, I had a message from a friend in Pakistan and he said that he'd really badly injured his leg. He had ba- damaged his knee and his ankle, and he was in a lot of pain. And so I, I didn't really, I couldn't really cut. It was by message, so I just said, Jesus, I'm gonna send your word now, and trust that you can do the same thing through me, through text, or however we're gonna do it. And so um, I prayed and said, in the name of Jesus. Um, leg be healed and sent him a message and he replied straight back and he said I can put my weight on it now and then the next day he yesterday he texted me back and said I've done 5,000 steps on my leg and he said it's because of the blood of Jesus and the power in the blood of Jesus and I'm like yeah come on and so I don't know how many other thousands of people have prayed for him or maybe uh, who, who knows but the point is this that God has been encouraging me to just press in and step out and the authority that he's given us. And we're gonna just see in this next chapter some more about authority. And I really do believe there's a key for us here in this whole thing. So Holy Spirit, open our eyes, switch us on, let us be on the same wavelength as you 
in Jesus' name. So good morning, Ruth and Chris. Great to see you on your travels. Hope things are good. I've lost track of where you are right now. Good morning, Pete. Great to see you. And I think I saw Jack Sarji just going up in a little like symbol. So well done. Good to see you, Jack. Um, so here we go. He And verse chapter 9, then verse 1, it says, And he called the twelve together, and he gave them, listen to this, he gave them power and authority. They are two different words, but they have a big overlap. So power is that dynamis, the word there in Greek, and it's to do with that boom kind of thing that shifts things and makes things happen and and then authority is to do it also is to do with power but it's to do with that um that kind of mandate that um authority to say no and no happens yes and yes happens jesus the the thing that made jesus stand out was that he had authority when he spoke his words had authority they had a weight about them that was unusual and even before he did any miracles there was a weightiness and a significance about the things jesus said because he spoke with authority and in that was in contrast to the teachers of the law who did not speak with authority and yet they tried to exert control big difference the the scribes and the pharisees they tried to exert control over people by religious methods and human kind of manipulation and all of those things and siding with it well there's certainly the pharisees didn't so much but the um sadducees did they used political power and influence to control people this is a different thing this is spiritual authority this is where you can say let your yes be yes and your no be no and not only do you carry out your word but god backs you as well when you speak wow come on I feel like an amen is somewhere due. So he caught, he gave them power and authority over all demons. Not just some, over all demons. Listen to the story though, because as the story unfolds, <clears throat> it raises some questions. And to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Wow. This is the mandate that he gave to these apostles. Now remember, an apostle is one who sent out to establish the culture of that particular kingdom. And so Jesus is sending these guys out to establish the culture of his kingdom, the kingdom of God, in the villages and the towns that surround them. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money and do not have two tunics and whatever house you enter stay there and from there depart so he's basically saying right here you go guys you're just literally going out and what you've got is two things you've got a message and you've got authority so you've got a message and a mandate for those who like alliteration you've got a message and a mandate and that is to bring healing so you're bringing the gospel of the kingdom you're bringing the good news about Jesus, but you're bringing an actual demonstration of it. You're not just teaching it, but you're demonstrating it in, in what you do. So this is not just, I have to say, this is not just about being kind. This is not just about smiling at people you don't know. This is actually about bringing a 
manifest change into somebody's life because they were sick before, they're not sick anymore. That is significant, isn't it? That's incredible. And he said, so basically take nothing. Don't take any extra stuff. Don't take money or a staff or a bag. And you say, oh, come on. Just set, make sense to be prepared to go out well-equipped and so on and so on. Jesus said, you've got everything you need. I'm just teaching you something. That the message in the mandate is actually everything you need. And everything else will follow on from that. Right. And whatever house, verse 4, you enter, stay there, and from there depart. So don't keep moving around, trying to find the best, most comfortable place to lodge. Actually, when you're welcomed into a house, stay there and let that be your base until you leave that town. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Wow. So they went through the villages. These are the kind of places we talk about the ordinary person. Ordinary people live in villages, don't they? Unremarkable, although, however, very remarkable people sometimes are born in villages and live in villages, but they, they tend to be kind of small communities, don't they? And so these guys go through these small communities and... The gospel and these miracles are happening everywhere. People are getting healed. And there is a buzz going up. So much so, verse 7, it says, Now Herod, the Tetrarch, this is not King Herod, this is one of his sons who's ruling the region. He's the kind of Roman puppet governor kind of monarchy type of thing in the in the neighborhood and now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead you remember um Herod was guilty of killing John the Baptist murdering John because he made a rash promise to his um wife's daughter didn't he that um she could have anything she wanted all she had to do was ask him for doing some sexy dance in front of his officials and she said I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter and that was the end of John but so Herod's thinking oh my is my past coming back to haunt me he's a bit like a Macbeth figure in this isn't he is like as this Banquo's ghost I can see before me or whatever um and so he, because it had been said by some that John had been raised from the dead and by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Whichever way, Herod knows that if any of these prophets catch up with him, he's going to be in trouble just like the kings of old were, like Ahab and so on. And Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. What has happened? We know Jesus has been doing his thing. He's been attracting great crowds. But now he sent these 12 apostles out into the villages. And they're doing the same thing. And that, interestingly, is what triggers Herod's attention. That's what gets his attention. Because he can see now that this individual lone preacher is now more than that. He is beginning to spearhead a movement that's affecting the community right down at grassroots level. And people are talking about Jesus and his disciples. And they and so Herod is now getting somewhat nervous because he doesn't know what's up ahead for him. 
On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. This is really interesting. Jesus is excited. He's got his disciples. They're coming back for a feedback session and telling him how it's all gone. So he thinks, right, let's get you guys away somewhere quiet and we'll have a little bit of um, a retreat together, a ministry retreat, and we'll get refreshed and so on. And so they withdrew to a town called Bethsaida. But of course, word got out. His fame was only spreading and the fame of his disciples was spreading as well. And so suddenly there's this massive crowd who followed them to the quiet place. And Jesus doesn't miss a beat. He welcomes them. He says, oh, hello, everyone. I'm so glad you're here because we're just about to start another healing meeting and I'm going to do some preaching first. And so off they go and they're back into it again. And so that he welcomed them, spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Verse 12, now the day began to wear away and the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions for we're here in a desolate place. So this was a remote place and the guys are thinking there's no way they can all just curl up on the ground and go to sleep plus they'd be hungry and who knows how many children and everybody there were and old people and sick people and all the rest of it obviously a lot had been healed but there would still be some people needing healing and send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodgings and get provisions for we are in here in a desolate place verse 13 but he said to them you give them something to eat <laughs> right jesus called these guys to him to be disciples this is a discipleship moment this is where the teacher says right i've done all this stuff it's your turn now i've shown you what to do right you give them something to eat and they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. One, one account says, we've got five loaves and two fish. What are they among so many? And he says, if we spent X amount of money, we'd still not be able to feed them and so on. And so they're trying to do the mass and think, where might they get food in this remote place is all too much they can't do it it's not going to work they need a miracle good morning luke good to see you and pat and mike and so they need a miracle and jesus has put the onus on the disciples he's not saying right i've got this covered lads you just wait and watch look and <laughs> watch and learn and they said we we've got no more than five loaves and two fish uh, so there were about 5,000 men, verse 14, and he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up into heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the crowd. So he's giving them a little bit of help, isn't he now? He's saying, you give them something to eat. They bring their very, very limited resources to Jesus. This is a very good lesson for us. Jesus gives us a job to do. We look at the size of the job. We think, I can't do this job. I need a miracle or something. I need something I'm not aware of. I need help. 
we come to Jesus with the resources that we do have. And what does he do? He looks up into heaven with a little smile, I'm sure. Him and the Father exchanging a little kind of knowing smile. And he blesses the loaves and fish. I wonder what he said. I bless you, loaves and fish, to multiply and feed this crowd. Anyway, whatever, whatever he says, he blesses them. And then he gives it back to the disciples. He broke the loaves and gave them to, this, to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. Isn't that amazing? Now, we've heard this story. Anyone who's been to Sunday school will have heard this story. And maybe we've heard it multiple times. We've heard it preached on hundreds of times. But the challenge for us is, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to say, yeah, well, of course, that was Jesus, wasn't it? Of course he can do that stuff. He's the miracle worker. He's the one the story's all about. And actually, the story isn't all about Jesus, although it is, in one sense, it's about his disciples as well. It's about the mission that Jesus began. And I think it, who is it who says, I think it's Luke in the book of Acts, he talks about the things that Jesus began to do and teach. Jesus began a movement. So what happened with the disciples going out into the villages, this is now still part of their training program. This is part of yours and my training program. And when we're in situations where our resources don't stretch, but we feel like we're there because of obedience to Jesus and we need, we, you know, we wouldn't even be in this situation if it wasn't for trying to follow him and trying to be authentic and all the rest of it. Then we come in the same way and we say, Jesus, help me. Or maybe we're in the situation because of bad planning and we forgot to do something we should have done and we didn't think ahead or we couldn't foresee the outcome. And now we're in a situation where we need a miracle. What do we do? We bring our limited resources to Jesus and we say, Jesus, can you do that thing you do where you look into heaven and smile and then bless my limited resources because I'm going to have to make this stretch I know there are literally thousands of stories that we have of people who've seen their resources stretch. Maybe they've had a house full of people they weren't expecting and suddenly there's enough food to put on the table for everyone to have some. God loves to do that stuff. Jesus loves to do it. He still does it today. He's still in the business of doing it. If you've got a story where that's happened to you, put it up in the chat because it will bless somebody. Righty-ho. So now also don't just read the story and dismiss it, but say, come on, Jesus, teach me this stuff. Let me be a disciple. Let me be somebody who does this very thing that you are teaching your disciples to do. And what I love about the story is the sheer excess of provision. And this is characteristic of Jesus, that he is always generous. He's always over giving. He's always giving more than is necessary. And so there's something at the end of it. When we did a mission um, in Weymouth um, during the time of the Olympics, we had um, a big budget that we needed to find. It all came in and our prayer was, Lord, at the end of this budget, let us have enough money. Let us have £7,000 to launch CAP, which is Christians Against Poverty. At the end of the whole thing, when all the bills were paid, we had £7,000 that we could launch CAP with. Jesus loves to overprovide and have a legacy that we can talk about at the end of it. I love it. I love it. Come on. 
Let's get excited today. Let's not just be boring old Christians who've seen it all. Let's be Christians who are living on the edge and saying, I haven't seen anything yet. I'm still hungry. I'm desperate for you, Jesus. Come on. Right, here we go. Verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him and he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? Now, Jesus is not insecure. He's just taken a bit of a reading of how things are going out there. And these guys are moving among the crowds and hearing the conversations. They've been in the villages. So Jesus says, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old is risen. So he, they're getting the same message that Herod was getting. That's the kind of picture that the disciples are hearing as they reflect on who Jesus might be. Because Jesus is still pretty coy about his actual identity when he's talking in public. And verse 18, so um, verse 20, then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Now that means the anointed one of God. The word also is Messiah in Hebrew or a kind of a derivative of uh, a word that we get Messiah from, Mashiach, and it means anointed, oily, smeared one. And the, the, the idea is that that person has been anointed for a ministry from God himself, like the kings in the Old Testament were anointed, and some of the prophets were, and the priests were. It's a way of saying you are set apart for this holy job and Peter has identified Jesus and he says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the one that all the Old Testaments are point, scriptures are pointing to. And we're super excited to be in your team. And then verse 21. So in one place, Jesus says, yeah, well done, Peter. On this rock, I will build my church. This is actually the truth. Flesh and blood has not revealed it to you. But here we don't we don't have that exchange. It just says verse 21. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So Jesus is definitely, he's still holding back in a way, isn't he? He's not, he's not stoking a kind of mass hysteria. He's not building up he's not kind of buying in followers on instagram that kind of mindset he's actually trying to kind of rein in a bit because there's a sequence of events that have to happen for the scriptures to be fulfilled and for him to do everything that he's called to do everything that he's come to do and so he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one saying the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So this is the thing that he knows. He's he's following a timeline. He knows that there's um, a kind of degree of restraint needed just to hold the thing back a bit. Verse 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So Jesus has alluded to his death and he has a, he has in places, different places, not so much in Luke so far, but he alludes to the kind of death he'll, he'll suffer. But now he says this, this kind of slightly chilling statement, if anyone wants to follow me, 
let him take up his cross and deny himself. So daily he's going to have to take up his cross. Now these people, particularly the ones who lived in Jerusalem, would have seen the condemned men and maybe women carrying their cross to the place of execution, which obviously one day Jesus was going to do. And he says, you guys, you need to line yourselves up in the in the ranks of people who are willing to lay down their lives, who are willing to deny themselves everything and even take up the cross and march towards their own execution because of me and follow me. Because that's where I'm going. He says, if you want to follow me, this is where I'm going. I'm going to be the guy taking up my cross every single day. I am not choosing what I want to do today. I'm choosing what my Father in heaven wants to do, wants me to do. And this is the way, if you're wanting to be a disciple of Jesus, we kind of need to settle this issue sooner or later. Are we willing to take up our cross and follow him outside of the city, away from public acclaim and applause, into that kind of place of isolation and be willing to say, Jesus, I, I give everything for you. I'm ready. I give it all. Now, the word for witness we, we've talked about in other podcasts is martus. It means we, we now use that word to mean martyr, which is where somebody actually dies for their faith and for their convictions. That's the word that Jesus gave to his disciples. You will be my witnesses. You'll be my martyrs. And so many of them were. But Jesus is just kind of spelling it out. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever would lose his life for my sake, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So he's talking about something much bigger and better than maintaining our physical life. But who, um, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. But I tell you the truth, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Wow. Jesus is not making it easy, is he? He's kind of saying, guys, you really want to follow me because it's costly and there's a there's a price tag but the great news is if you will acknowledge me before the people you live among in front of your peers in front of the community I'll acknowledge you before my father in heaven and he makes this funny statement doesn't he at the end where he says there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God I think what Jesus is saying that there was a kind of a uh, thing that was going to happen which would be to usher in his kingdom on the earth in the most incredible way and I think this is probably referring to the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and filled the church and the kingdom of God began to go go out in such power and it kind of is like it changed gear again and a whole new move of God began so listen you guys have an amazing day today God bless you and smile on you and be a disciple step out in it and say come on then Jesus show me how to do this stuff I've never done this before let it work for me come on in Jesus name bless you guys mm -hmm.
I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book, The Christing. It's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful, rich treasure of the Holy Spirit is there on every single page. And my desire as I share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural God where anything becomes possible when we're full of his Holy Spirit. And so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him but more than anything else, that you would fall more in love with Jesus. So please, if you have not got a copy, do buy one. You can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores, including Amazon, Eden and others. You can buy it from Christian bookshops. Or you can message me and get your own signed copy. There you go. But do like it and review it because that really, really does help. Thank you so much.